really got a WD-40 that hinges on that bathroom door. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> <laughs> do you have some down here? Yeah. It's in the medicine drawer. <laughs> it is basically it's, medicine. It's door medicine. Yeah. <laughs> Scotch. Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode 11D6 of Coffee with Butterscotch, the game dev comedy podcast of Butterscotch Shenanigans. I'm Seth, and I'm the games programmer. I'm Adam, and I'm trying to parse that number that Seth just said. I'm Sam, and I make art. And today is September 18th, 2017. Before we get started, we have a warning. Anything could happen on this show. Uh, there's going to be profanity, and then we're going to talk about some other stuff. So if you're a child, get out of here. All right, let's get to the news, gentlemen. All right. For starters, we have to talk about plants. We got them. Yeah. They're in the office. Yeah. <laughs> let's face there's, there's, we, we found out that there's this whole industry that yep. revolves around plants. bringing office plants to an office. And you pay them, it's like a subscription service. It's like the Netflix of plants, I guess. Is plant if, we were, if we were pitching it in, in Silicon <laughs> Valley. Net Why isn't there a netplants.com? Netplants. There probably is. Look at it. Actually, there probably is. Um, but yeah, so what happens is they, they bring in, we, we just pay essentially a subscription every month, and they bring in six huge, healthy, tree-like plants into our basement, which now looks hilarious. It's like a jungle in here because we don't have much space. There's these two, like, seven-foot trees. They're just looming. In the corners of the office. <laughs> and then a bunch of little guys all over the place. And then what they do is every, whatever, two weeks, someone comes by, sort yeah. of check up on them, feed them, whatever you do to plants, mm-hmm. sing to them. I don't know. They and rub the leaves to give them the leaf. leaf massages. They, they have those little, you know, those, those little flute things they use for snakes. Mm, yeah, yeah, they, kinda, gotta, they sit there. They, they kinda, charm kinda, the plants. They charm mm-hmm. the plants. So, you know, you get, your, you get your plants all charmed up and it stuff. It is a little then, distracting. It is. <laughs> and, then, and then if the plant... Starts to look ugly. Now, now, not die, but look ugly. If it just kind of gives someone like a stink eye. Then they just replace <laughs> it. They'll just take it and they'll just swap it out with the same plant, but a different one. They're the same species, but a different plant. I wonder how far this goes. Like if we tell them like, yeah, this plant was giving us some attitude last week. Mm-hmm. You know, Adam was trying to charm it. It sort of, you know. Poked him in the back with its him. leaf. With it, its leaf. Has, <laughs> it has poked me as I walked by it. Yeah, I can't, that, we can't, can't let stand. that stand. Yeah, nope. So, but so then ship it back. There's a whole industry around this, which is kind of awesome. It's awesome. It's like you you just rent plants. Well, it's it's for office. that. It's for people who who are in that Venn diagram, which I believe is almost everybody. Which is like it's who believe it's nice to have plants around, but also don't want to have to take care of plants. Or yeah. deal <laughs> that, that is literally everybody. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or deal with them when they're super ugly. You know. Yeah. Mm, yeah. It did. It did make me think that maybe I should put some small plants on my desk. But then I was like, but then I have to take care of these. I guess yeah. it, yeah, it's it's like renting an apartment, you know, or what, like mm-hmm. it's just let somebody else do it. Yeah. yeah. You're like, I want this thing in my life, but I don't want the responsibility yeah. of managing it. But they're supposed to, I mean, having plants in the office is supposedly very good for a whole variety of reasons. Cause it's just apparently, apparently it's good for people to see other live things other than people, other than human beings day to day. So yeah, we're trying human beings don't have enough sort of, you know, greenness and color mm-hmm. variation and it's having having greenness of some form. Yeah. I think if we you know if nice. we had if we had orcs, maybe that would be the same that thing. Would probably you can get plants yeah. or just have or or just orcs yeah. around. Yeah. yeah. Orcs green. also they enrich the air around them. <laughs> it's <laughs> they do. They photosynthesize <laughs> real good. Um all right, let's talk about the warehouse. Okay. Actually, wait, hold on. What? Do orcs photosynthesize because they are green? Yeah, they probably do. Isn't well, that- no, I mean, as we all know, orcs are normally brown, but they turn green because they got exposed to the demon blood of Manoroth. I mean, I think we all know. Well, that's World of Warcraft lore, but they're they are always they're green. They're kind of always green. No, because the orcs thing. in uh, Lord of the Rings, they're they're, they're like, like earth. They but they're made from the earth. 
That's true. Remember, they're, they're like straight up. They're like they're codes. dirt yeah. people. Yeah. So yeah, I bet they 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 would have photosynthesis. The green so they, ones though. So they wouldn't even the need orcs to feed in, on The orcs in Warhammer. Uh, they reproduce through spores. Yeah, they're actually a fungus, right? They're a fungus. That's the, yeah. that's the most fun <laughs> version of that entire fantasy Are they a trip fungus version. with photosynthesis? Because normally fungi don't, do not have no, they don't that have photosynthesis. No, okay. They, but they are green? But they, they get activated they by battle or something like that. Like the, the spores get activated by going crazy and fighting people, which is why they're so violent. It's pretty whack. Pretty cool. Pretty, cool. <laughs> pretty good lore, though. I like All right, I want to dive into this, uh, this next item, which is the warehouse concept. Warehouse. So, I can't, I don't think I talked about this last week, but. Uh, Airtable plug. This is an Airtable plug again. It's Airtable. I've talked about it's this amazing. last week. It'd be a little bit. Can't remember. Okay. So here's, here's the problem, which is, uh, I was organizing my basement, trying to put stuff in places to be able to find it. And I realized upon opening a few boxes that there were surprises of things that were in those boxes. In other words, I own things that I do not know that I own. Yeah. I'm also storing things. This is a common thing. That I do not know that I am storing, which means, frankly, that there's a huge amount of waste happening there, right? Because it was actually the case that I bought, I had bought like a, a dowel rod or something to do some repair in the house or add a, uh, like a hanging thing. And I already had 10 feet of dowel rod in the basement that was just sort of like in the back. Just ready to go. Ready to go. So in other words, I'm now- I'm, Now you got 11 feet of I'm dowel rod. Space. Yeah. <laughs> I'm wasting space. I'm wasting money. I'm like trying- you know, like we've talked a lot about systems and offloading offloading your mental work to more trustworthy systems in a brain. And after sort of doing a little bit of, this, of storage stuff, I got really aggravated because I was like, why am I storing all this stuff? I may as well not have it because yeah. it's as it if changes, I don't have it. It changes nothing it in does life. Yeah, I try to, I go for the not have it approach. You know, I throw you know how away. we say like a project never goes to the back burner, it just goes to the incinerator. It's all the I stuff like, in your basement. I feel like, yeah, basements and closets, closets are kind of that same thing. So I got very aggravated by this and, uh, and then I had an idea because we've been using Airtable. Plug again. And Airtable. I was like, I... I'm going to categorize everything and actually put everything in my basement into Airtable. And so I grabbed a huge Sharpie and I marked off. I have like a eight feet of these this three-road storage system on the side of the wall. And I went off and I marked each row. So like A, A through C, and then each foot, one through eight. Okay. So now I have an inventory system. And then what I've been doing is just go down there, organize stuff. So you got a spreadsheet. I have you a turn living your spreadsheet. basement yeah. into a spreadsheet. It's a warehouse. <laughs> so uh, I go in there and then I just start, you know, putting stuff away and I take pictures of it because I can now do that. And then I input every single thing that's in there or broad categories of things if they're more, if they work more in that regard. So like Christmas ornaments, I'm not going to be like one orb, you know, for my tree. It'll be like it's, Christmas yeah, ornaments. Just ornaments. Box. But with the tools, because this was one of the things. I don't know what tools I already own because I bought them a while ago. I don't remember anything. I bought like a big pack of tools. You're not doing they house. Also, you're not doing house projects every day. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. They also tend to somehow. It's a weird thing because I, I know I've I've bought probably something like six wrenches in my life. You they know? just disappear. And I know I've never thrown them away. Or they're, got, but they're just they just aren't there anymore. Right? It's like pens. Yeah. Right. You know? yeah. <laughs> so the last thing I had <laughs> to weird. do. So I got all the sort of bigger items put away. Got the shelves organized. Got all that put in air table. I think I already have like sixty things in there. Um, whether it's like a down comforter that's just chilling in the corner. Now that now if I if someone says, Oh, hey, we need we need this thing. Do, do you have a do you have a needle nose pliers? I can be like, oh, I don't know. Let me so look did, so did at you, my warehouse. Uh, did you tag things? So you could be like, because if I want to search now for this comforter and mm -hmm. my, my buddy comes over and he's like, Hey, can I crash on your couch? And I'm like, sure, I'm pretty sure I got something. Mm -hmm. Right. So you can look for bedding. I can, yeah, I'll search for bedding. Yeah. Or you can just scroll through the list because like 
there's pictures. So you can just look mm. through essentially like a gallery of images. That's true. So you never need to worry about losing everything. And so I was just so angry. So you can this. so you can pull it up on your phone and be like, how's this? And show it to your friend. Yeah. Be like, <laughs> I don't like that one. Can, right, let, let, me, let me see let me some of the, the other next options. Ones. Yeah. <laughs> so so I started doing this and it feels awesome because I now know what I have and I have a searchable database of it as well as immediately recallable pictures, which means also that storage is different because I no longer have to store things in such a way that I could possibly see them. Yeah, right? this, is, this is the idea of don't sort your stuff, just have good searching mechanisms. Exactly. This is the whole basis of Gmail. Uh, right. How, how, how Gmail was intended to be used was a thing where you just archive everything and don't fucking worry about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so anyone who's using folders, just quit it, just archive it. Cause you can just search for it. Yeah, later. exactly. So folders are dumb. Don't waste the energy. Well, the best part about this. So then I, I was doing some other stuff, uh, upstairs and swapping closets. So when closets across the hall from each other, you need to put the same contents in the other place. And so took it as an opportunity to again, purge crap out of there, donate some stuff and then warehouse the rest of it. And when I say warehouse, I'm spelling it W E R E like a werewolf, like a werewolf. Like a warehouse. Like a warehouse. Because it's kind of like, <laughs> it is a house, but then at night it becomes really hairy for yeah, some reason. exactly. So uh, so what, what happens then is I, I have these bins, which go up, again, it's like invisible space, right? These bins that go up on a high shelf in those closets, you can't see in. I have no idea what's, what's in, in there. that bin. What's in that bin? So I pulled them down, <laughs> uh, organized everything into those bins, and then, again, pictures of everything. So I now know... I have an Xbox controller in there. I have two HDMI cables. I got 10 feet of Ethernet cable, blah, blah, blah. Piles of cash. Piles of money. Just drugs. Just drugs. Guns. And, everything. and, and then, then somebody's just, like, somebody comes over and they're like, listen, I need piles of cash, drugs, and guns. And I'll be like, yeah, oh, that let is me check my. In the upstairs yep. closet in box B. Yep. <laughs> B so for. Now, now all you criminals listening know exactly where to get Sam's drugs. B for money. For drugs. Yeah, but you can just ask guns. him and he'll look yeah, it up in his. Because I have his, it on my warehouse. Yeah. So, but then and you can, can actually, you can scroll through the pictures and choose. Which of the guns you would prefer to steal? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You, should, you should have spelled it W-H-E-R-E. Oh, yeah. Well, that's what Diana said. And I was like, no, it's because you're transforming your house into an organizational beast. Oh. Yeah. Also, I, you don't, also, you already know where your house is. Exactly. I thought it was like, not where in the where my house, house is. is this thing? So That'd be a, good, a pretty good name, pretty too. Good. Yeah. But yeah, so I'm just slowly doing this to my whole house so that I can actually know what things I own. Because I'm tired of not. <laughs> how is that a thing? What I, Why we, is this a problem? Here's what. Because we, I think it's just we just have too much shit. Well, we do have too much shit for sure. We but too, also, well, you don't even much, know yeah. what shit you have. Yeah. So you buy more shit that's the same. It's shit. the Parkinson's law of space. If you have space, then you You'll fill, fill it. it. If you have time, you fill it. Right. Mm-hmm. If you have people, just people are a gas that expand to fill whatever they happen to be in. Mm-hmm. So. You know, terrible smells unless you use deodorant and shower regularly and, and fill it with plants and plants. And now your space is filled mm-hmm. with plants. Yep. All right. So we got uh, one more thing I want to hit before we get on to questions, which is uh, we got some we got some reviews. Mm. Well, specifically one review that I want to read. Um, so these are coming from iTunes where we're sort of wrapping up uh, our review drive. And we're we're shooting for a hundred reviews so we can start plugging the podcast on other platforms. Also, it's Apple Podcasts, not iTunes. Oh yeah. Oh yes, that's true. Apple Apple Podcasts trademark probably. Uh, all right. So this review comes from Gutiev, who says a hilarious and shocking. Oh, it's five stars by the way. Uh, uh, <laughs> a hilarious and shockingly informative podcast. You'll learn how to analyze business opportunities, think critically about marketing strategies, and avoid pepper spraying yourself in the face while making popcorn. It's true. Or, or you'll also learn how to do that if you're interested. <laughs> also true. Either way, you know, you got to know to not exactly. do it. 
Uh, if you run a small business, dream of commercializing your hobby, or just enjoy making the most of your precious time here on Earth, this podcast is a must-listen. Seth, Sam, and Adam are sharp, funny, and profoundly insightful business owners. Once a week, they pull back the curtain on their work and lives to share the latest in their quest to optimize life, work, art, and the pursuit of gains. Mm. Yeah. Pursuit so, of gains in Seth's so, case in particular. Yes. So thanks for the, uh, thanks for that review. It's fantastic. Um, yeah. If you guys want to leave another review to help us out, uh, bit.ly slash CWB Apple. CW Babble. Yeah. So, yeah, we've, we've been harping on the reviews for like four episodes now. So I think we'll probably. It's probably the last one. We'll probably. What are we, NPR it. doing our. <laughs> Basically. <laughs> you yeah. can just donate. We'll give you a tote bag. Isn't that just <laughs> buying a tote bag? I don't know. I've never understood the whole like donate in exchange for a gift idea. Yeah. That's just buying a thing. It is. Right. Well, this is how Kickstarter works too, right? Mm-hmm. It's, uh, as you say, I want this thing to exist in the world and to provide money, but also. I want this thing to exist, but not enough that I don't also want something in return. Right. You know, plus the thing itself. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Let's get on yeah. questions. <laughs> These questions come from podcast.bscotch.net. They are from our listeners. So if you'd like to get your question onto a future episode, then head on over there and ask. And maybe, just maybe, <laughs> it'll fall to the bottom of the list and then it'll never get answered. <laughs> All right. Our first question comes from Pickleberry. Nice. Hi. <laughs> Pickleberry. Your announcement of Scuffle Buddies triggered me to dive back into the butterscotch world again. Now I wonder, have you measured an increase of activity in your current games since the announcement? And if so, how much did it increase? Mm, uh, This is the Adams department. It is, but I didn't have this question before just now, which means I don't have an answer for it. I was going to, I'll be doing a review of the uh, sort of analytics of the Scuffle Buddies launch this Thursday. So we can we can punt this one to next week, and I'll bring in bring in whatever the infos are for however many people we got signed up, and if there's any increases and stuff. The problem is we have other things happening simultaneously, so there's not going to be any way for us to actually. We say. won't be able to really tell. Yeah. Um, what I can, but we could make something up. I could we totally could, lie. We could about just it, lie, which we could just do now. It's it was you know? crazy because there would be no difference. A fifteen percent. It was increase. crazy. It was fifth DARPU, possibly sixteen percent. Yes. Our DARPU and our K. TV? KPI. Well, our KPIs are key performance LTV. indicator, riches or LTV. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That went up. Our key performance indicators, right? Yeah. yeah. We'll have a white paper out. Our KPIs are fucking stuck about it. right now. <laughs> What's a KPI again? K- K- key performance indicator. Key performance it's just, indicator. So our KPIs are dope. We've talked about this before. Like the, the criteria. They're measured in AF units. Yeah. Right now they are dope, <laughs> dope. AF. Yeah. <laughs> the criteria that you use to, to measure the success of a thing is what a KPI is. Right? It's a key performance indicator. So the idea is that depending on the one you choose, then you will optimize for different outcomes. For example, if we were optimizing for, for cash monies, then we would not be building the things we're building probably. I like how it's key performance indicator as opposed to just a performance indicator, right? Or because, just an indicator. Or just an indicator, yeah. Because, mm-hmm. you know, if you're talking to somebody and they're like, hey, what are your KPIs? And you're like, well, here it is. And they're like, no, no, no. Those aren't the, K- the I'm talking about the KPIs, not just the regular not the PIs. PIs. Yeah. yeah. And definitely not just the I's. Yeah. <laughs> no, thank you. No, the key ones specifically. Uh, yeah. So we don't really know. But what, I, what, I, what I can say, because I, I, every day I get to sort of a, a quick sna- a snapshot of our stats in Scotch ID, so mm-hmm. I can kind of make sure that nothing wonky has happened. A snapshot. And as far as I can tell from that, just kind of the rough, you know, eyeballing day-to-day numbers, 
nothing seems to be different. So if it is, Great. if we're getting if Great we're getting job, new dude. if we're getting new people in, <laughs> but but it's important to remember that most of most of the impacts of these kinds of things are relatively small in percentage. You right. know, so the, they may be like a you know a few percent boost or a ten percent boost or whatever, depending on what you're doing and what the situation is. And most of those kinds of of, of uh, sizes of change are completely statistically not measurable in most contexts, which means even if there was an effect, unless it was enormous, uh, we're not. So we're, we're definitely not seeing anything like a you know twice as many people are in B Scotch ID now. We're not. Right. We're seeing nothing like that. Uh, and anything below that, we actually just can't differentiate from just day to day variation, and and also from other kinds of things that are also happening at the same time, uh, which is. Yeah, which is all to say, who knows? Nah. No, no, no. All right, next question comes from Anonymous. Your mention of Process Street sounds a lot like how we use Trello at work. Uh, checklist, checklist template cards, but with an extra benefit of a Kanban style. Which leads me to my question. Do you all use techniques like Kanban or Scrum in your development? We started doing some sprints this last couple weeks. Yep, and we also, uh, we, we realized that Everybody in the studio, so we have seven people in the studio and everybody has at least two projects. Some people have up to like seven projects going at a time. Um, and we realized that having this many people and this many projects means that there just is a certain level of administrative burden that just exists naturally in a given project when it's part of a, a larger ecosystem. Because even if you don't use... Kanban or Scrum or whatever, and you're like, nope, I'm just managing my own stuff. Uh, the fact is, at some point, other people are going to have to know. Like, yeah. other people on the team are going to have to know what you're up to and what mm -hmm. that means for them, mm -hmm. for their projects. Um, and so, if if you don't have a if you don't have a system to put that information into, then at some point, you're going to have to have a meeting or like some kind of a way to sync up and get other people informed. And if you don't get everybody in on that, then the people who are out of the loop are going to, you're going to have to have a meeting with them possibly at some other mm -hmm. point, right? So it's the question of sort of synchronous communication versus asynchronous communication. Um, so well, here, here comes an Airtable plug. Yeah, it was <laughs> <laughs> surprise. It's a good thing to use. Yeah, so, um, so well, this is an interesting point though, because a big part of our push internally in the studio is is to push further and further toward what we call asynchronous work, which is just saying, building systems that allow you to say when you finish a project or when you want um, to have a chat with someone or whatever else that allow you to, in a trusted way, essentially send that information out and know that the person who you want to receive it, who wants to get notified of it, will get notified of it. And then that they will get back to you. And then you can trust your people enough to know that everybody's autonomous and they all will behave responsibly right. so that, you know, if you send somebody a thing, it is now in their systems. Mm -hmm. So that's going to get managed and you can stop worrying about yeah. it. Yeah. So the question of, of this, I think kind of comes down to why. So why, why would you even use well, a system like that or Scrum or whatever else, because as you were sort of saying, Seth, the, the reality is that even if you don't have a system for it, you're going to pay you for have it. a system. Well, you do have a system, whether or not if, if right. it's actually sort of structurally built into your work, it might just be, that, okay, yeah, on Tuesdays or just whenever I want, I have a meeting with these people because I don't know what's going on. Maybe that's right. your quote unquote and I'm just in a, system. My system is to be in a constant state of confusion. Yeah. So, <laughs> so we built a thing uh, that we refer to as SUP, which is status of unfinished projects. Yeah. So what's up? So uh, this is another Airtable thing that we have. So all of it is just uh, it's just a huge list of all of the different projects we've going on. How many are in there right now? Like twenty something. Like twenty something in there. So that's one of those is uh, Scuffle Buddies and associated things within that. Um, 
the other stuff is everything from, you know, marketing some new patches for the new game or for the old games as well as uh, just sort of general administrative stuff and other things. So tons of things going on in there. And, and a big part of it is a big part of what we're figuring out next is sort of how to bind that into our day to day communication such that if someone pops in and say, maybe Adam's moved on to some next phase of some web development piece, he can update it. And then that'll get triggered as an, a little alert for everybody else that we can just see, Oh, Adam's project moved from here to here, yeah. which is sort of the point at which you as a person would consider, is there anything I need to do about this? Anything you talk about what's whatever like that. So a big part of our, our, our overall goal is to make us that people can work. People can just have the space to work on stuff and a bunch of what I mainly has led us to believe is that pushing toward greater asynchronous uh, working is, is sort of the method to do it. And then coming together at the appropriate time to collaborate and do that sort of thing. So those meetings are high power. You're not talking about just stupid stuff that could have been well, meeting, sent whenever. We have a belief that meetings, this, of course, there's exceptions to every rule, but the general idea is that meetings should not be for conveying information. They should be for making decisions. Because if you sit down with somebody and you tell them information for an hour, that's now transient. So if somebody else needs that information, how are they going to get it? Well, you got to sit down with them for an hour and then tell them. If somebody else needs it, you got to sit down with them for an hour, right? So by by dumping your information into some longer lasting system, um, then anybody can get that information without you being involved. Um, and then when you have a meeting with everybody, then you can make decisions about the information. Mm-hmm. Hopefully in a much shorter you know time span uh, without having to debate for forever just because everybody's confused about what they're even talking right. about. So yeah, uh, but most of that doesn't have to do with Scrum. For agile development. Mm-hmm. Um, That's true. And, and for that, I mean, I would say we do practice basically a form of agile development, um, right. but in a tools independent way. So we, ha- we have not adopted a uh, sort of global and defined agile practice, mostly because anytime we have tried to either, those, those are typically designed for managing uh, projects when there's a whole team working on one thing right. together at the same time, right? where you might have five programmers all programming and you have to really know who's doing what and when and what's blocking what and all that kind of stuff. Uh, and so there, there, be, there comes a point of, of scale at which you need that kind of stuff just to make sure that things are happening fast and the or priorities in right order. Not being done twice. Not on being accident. done twice. <laughs> we're so agile that every project is one person. Basically. It. Yeah. So, so, so we're on a different end. We're now there, there hasn't yet been a methodology or a software framework that we've used that didn't just make it harder to work instead of mm-hmm. more efficient uh, because of the fact that we all have our own ways of doing things. And the way that we collaborate right now is in this much more asynchronous kind of big picture way where, where Sam and Seth are collaborating. Yeah. But uh, they both have a way to move forward on their stuff without blocking the other person. Right. And so that means that we have we have a lot more freedom and, and less less constraints in in having to have people have their work organized mm-hmm. in the same sort of uh, coherent framework. Well, it's also part of our goal is to just constantly be reducing the uh, we refer to it as admin work, but just the general meta work that is required to do things. So whether that's okay, well, you know, I want to go tackle this particular project this week, that means I need to get these files. I need to get this information from these people, blah, blah, blah. All of that is just meta work. So if a big part of that is actually, again, running these sprints or whatever, whatever sort of uh, more, more concrete structure is given to it, then that's not something we're currently, it's the, the payoff is not worth the price currently. And something yeah. to keep in mind, which is that because it does feel like you're making progress, if you have a system like that in place and you're doing the like, things that I moved a bunch requires. of cards through. Right. 
through my con box. The question is, do you do you need to have that? Do you need to be spending the time on that? And depending on the on the team size, the answer might be definitely yes, uh, which is totally valid. But it's always a good thing to ask yourself if you're actually just creating an additional layer of meta work that may not actually be paying off. Well, and and there's another interesting problem with things like like Kanban because we in the studio we worked at before Butterscotch we used Kanban mm-hmm. to manage projects and it was a much bigger team. But everybody uses these systems differently, right? And so when I was using the Kanban, I was using it religiously, where like any any task that I was working on, I made it a point to like any or any time somebody was like, "Oh, I need you to take care of this thing," I'd put it in the Kanban, right? Mm-hmm. And I would move it through through the thing. And uh, most of the other folks who were even like who were on my team, who were also programmers, um, they they tended to do things in a much in a much more sort of like higher level. Mm-hmm. So instead of instead of moving tasks through the Kanban, they would move like a project through the Kanban that's comprised of like a thousand small tasks. And so then at each week we would go back and we'd review the Kanban, and, and it's like oh, they give you an analytics. Plan, yeah, they'd be like, right? look at the analytics, like Seth did like 50% of the, the uh, team's work this week. It's like, no, I didn't. I just, <laughs> you just had, I just I broke just it down. Put, more, I just broke right? it down more into the Kanban. Right. <laughs> right. Um, and so it gives you this bizarre false look at what's actually happening on mm-hmm. the team. Yeah. It's weird. So yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. The only way to do it in a way that's fully consistent is to put so many constraints on how it's used that it becomes a burden. Right. Which means you have to use it in a way that that everybody has agreed makes sense and not as a way to measure performance and all this other kind of stuff. Because the moment you do that kind of bullshit, uh, it's going to create a problem instead of, instead yeah. of something. Which I'm I'm excited about what we're doing with with SUP because really it's basically we have we have two things to keep track of on a given project. One is what's the thing that's happening next. And then the other is just the general state of the project. So going from planning stage to development stage to alpha to beta to finished, mm-hmm. right? Um, but also, what are the priorities of things? So that if uh, if I need somebody's help on something, I can look at what they're working on right now and ask, is what I need from them more important, really more important than what they're doing right now? Right. Um, yeah. And it, and it takes very little overhead. And then when it comes to the actual sort of day to day management of those projects, that's still up to the individual person to use their own systems to, to keep track of that stuff. Mm-hmm. And then SUP is there not to manage the project, but to actually communicate to the rest right. of the team about what's going on with the project. So, yeah, I mean, it all just depends on what your team needs and who knows. Mm-hmm. We'll see if this works. Our right, next question comes from Menelus. Is Syncopus the next step in the evolution of a quadrupus <laughs> or is it a tripus? Are more legs better or is less legs better? Also, it would be fewer Few legs. legs. Yeah. Yeah. Um, mm. Also, I have to, as a biologist, I have to disagree with the framing that evolution implies better because it's just not true. Right. Mm. Haven't so, gotten that out of my system. So if we were to take two population of quadrupus, say we, quadrupus, we split them all of a sudden, across a, a mountain all of a sudden range. there's a rift mm-hmm. in yep. space time. And then we put them under different selective pressures. We say, and we, the, one group of quadrupi goes into an area where, there's a certain type of animal that loves eating legs, right? <laughs> and so all the theory got actually. Well, then now is it the theory got the better? I think or you the need more? an extra one. Yeah, yeah. To you, spare. You need some request, but also right? you become more more uh, appealing the more legs you have. This so is true. More of a target, right? Exactly. So, so if you have fewer legs, you'll you'll come across mm-hmm. the you know the 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 giant leg eater. Yeah, and it comes up and it's like, nah, it's not not worth my time. That's not enough legs. <laughs> <laughs> And in that case, yeah, I mean, if you're a tripus, you're you're good. Mm-hmm. You're cruising. But maybe or, you're slower, you know, because you, you might be slower. Yeah. So it might be harder to escape, but you might have fewer things to escape. Except the question is, would you have here. one leg or one arm? Or three arms. 
and no legs. I think it's hilarious that the quadruped have legs to begin with because they they're from the ocean. You know what I mean? But I guess you know I mean, you've you got like gotta run around there. There's yeah. there's stuff that has legs. Plenty of stuff has legs in the ocean. Yeah, that's true. A lot of things. Really, that's crazy. a lot of things have too many legs. In, yeah. the ocean, in fact, <laughs> yeah. it's always weirded me out that we're totally cool with eating lobsters, mm-hmm. but when we want to eat insects. It's disgusting. Well, that's not globally true, though. That's there are that's, many that's, people that's who point. have no problem. Eating but in sense. in our in our culture, yeah, food taboos are just they're the same as all of our other weird traditions and cultural mm-hmm. things. They just because a, I mean, a lobster is just a bug whose exoskeleton is too hard to eat, and so yeah. you gotta like you gotta like you gotta get in there. You gotta get in there. <laughs> but it's still got like it's got all these horrible legs and like weird, creepy eyes. Yeah, we take like, mouth crab is, legs. like Its mouth is like this weird collection of arms. <laughs> like what the fuck? <laughs> This thing is horrible. <laughs> when we eat crabs, we actually, their legs are the preferred part, right? So we'll, we'll actually get these and we're horrible like, mm, spider legs. Look at this leg. Right? And you crack the leg you open. crack it. Because it has you, no, like, and you suck, it out. suck the inside yeah. of the leg out. Because it has disgusting. no, it has no bones, right? Like it's, it's skin is, a, it's skin, it's is, skin its bones. is its bones. Yeah. This thing is an alien, you know? <laughs> it's alien as fuck. It's just a giant bug. But it, I guess, <laughs> but is it, is it weirder? Is it weirder to eat these things that are so alien or to eat things that are awfully similar to us like other mammals? That's true. You know, like which one of those is really the weird okay, one? Okay, we got to We got to get to the, there's another question that we have to hit right. in relation to this, yeah. which is from Giant Muskrat. If you were vegan, would you eat a Venus flytrap? Can you talk about the uncanny vegan valley? So basically, mm, of plants eating plants that are themselves carnivorous, eating plants that eat that animals, are, that sustain themselves. They kind of like they're America. doing stuff that animals kind of do, right? So like, if there was a plant that walked around, I don't which, think I'm familiar enough with like the kind of general vegan positions because there's a broader question. Well, here I think with yeah, veganism, which is if there are because basically the position is that you shouldn't eat animals because it's unethical, right? But other animals eat animals. Well, this well, not so just plants, right? Eat animals, right. but also so, other, so does that mean? Is it ethical to eat animals that eat other animals? It's like a death yeah. sentence. So, there, sort of so a there's thing. there's yeah. three tiers of a vegan in terms of sort of like vegan power, right? Okay. The, uh-huh. the lowest level vegan is just a dietary vegan where you're just like it's healthier, you right. know, like meat sure. meat's not as healthy and dairy and stuff, and I'm just gonna I'm gonna be vegan for health reasons. That's kind of like that's your basic normal level of vegan. Mm-hmm. Then you've got your ethics vegan, right, where you're mm-hmm. like I'm not gonna kill anything. So, or I'm not going to, I'm not going to, I'm not going to eat anything that would put animals in danger. Right. And then there's a justice vegan, which is the top level vegan. Mm-hmm. And that's where you only eat animals that eat other animals. <laughs> right? Because now I assume that also means you eat people who are not. Also oh yeah. Vegans. Anything you eat, yeah. you eat anything that would harm an animal. Yeah. So tractors, wow. right? Yeah. Cars, roads, roads. roads. <laughs> Uh, power lines. You eat uh, wind windows. turbines. Windows. So you sort of your your jaws become the instrument of justice in this case. Yeah, yeah. That's a that's a justice vegan. You're like I'm gonna dissolve this. Right. You see a tiger at the zoo and you're like I'm coming for you. <laughs> I, mean, I think it is it is the most. Uh, and then you of, eat the zoo as well, of course. Yeah, obviously. But yeah. I think that is the most. You know, internally, logically consistent form of veganism is the one where you say, well, hurting animals is wrong. So, right. So we have to take it's like vengeance a, against yeah. everything, including other animals yeah. that hurt other animals, which is all animals, mm. which is all animals, unless you can force <laughs> them, unless you can force them all to become vegans. Right. So if you can find a way to say, have, you know, make fake like fish so that now hawks can go eat 
fake robot fish that are actually made out of seaweed. Mm. Right. So, so I guess there's also a technology. Yeah. Well, I mean, vegan. obviously part of being a justice vegan is that you also devote your life to laboratory work where you create synthetic right. meats to replace all life on earth. That way, you, that way as your jaw is getting like more and more tired over time, uh, then the hope is that someday these breakthroughs will allow you to just eat fewer things. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Replace your stomach with a robot stomach. Yeah. You know, all that stuff. Um, <laughs> and then just actually just replace, just replace people with robots that eat things. Cause that way you just now have your army of robots that eat all the stuff that eat animals. Yep. It sounds like a good sci-fi. <laughs> Wait, I think, I mean, so I guess the question when it comes to Venus flytrap is, is the act of eating another animal considered an animal behavior or a plant behavior? Well, plants and animals are on a spectrum, right? Well, not really. Not really. I mean, in terms They're of- They're quite distinct and- There are those sea slugs that, that eat yeah, but, plants but I, to get I guess, I guess what I mean is like, there's a certain level of consciousness that things have- about their existence. Yeah, plants right? are pretty fucking low. Plants that. are pretty far down there. There's right. really not a lot lower. I mean, maybe? I think what rocks. if they're just what if they're just <laughs> rocks are a little lower? What if they're just really slow? You know? Like they just can't they're just on a, they're sort of operating on a different timeline. So they can't I mean a tree because they do react to stuff kind of. It just takes them a really long time. Yeah. So what if there is some consciousness in there? You know, as far as that stuff goes, but it's just so well. I slow. guess I guess it depends on what you mean by consciousness, right? It's just like, exactly, it's like a deliberate reaction to your environment with decision making involved or something. But which cells do, right? Cells do, cells do that, and plants are made of those, so they must. Be. And I mean, so are we. Yeah. So so really, we are plants. I guess. Yeah. I don't know. This is getting so. No matter what you do. You're a damn dirty carnivore. Well, here's a question, because I wouldn't... <laughs> no, not Plants carnivore. are just big, dumb animals. I want to go back to this leg situation, because uh-huh. you said, right before we do- dove into this vegan thing, that what we eat on crabs is tons of legs. So how come crabs haven't evolved fewer legs? Because <laughs> we also... To deal with It's the kind facts. of a new thing. Because we, we don't... <laughs> but, because this is why, though. Because, you know, I'm saying evolution is a gradual process. That's right? the theory of the quadruped becoming a... But tripod. Th- but this happens on a slow time. It'll take scale, like right? a million years. But yeah. you also have to be selecting for a specific thing because we don't we don't go catch crabs based on how many legs they. We have. don't we don't be, we don't pull them up and be like, no, nah, this doesn't have enough legs and right. let it go. <laughs> in fact, if we actually pulled one up that only had half of its legs, we'd be like, well, I guess this is only half as valuable, but we'll just throw it in the pile. Throw right? it in the pile because we, we eat everything. We eat the fucking of everything. So <laughs> we're, we're too indiscriminate to actually cause a selective process mm. on these things. But if we, but there are probably those that are getting better at getting out of nets. And probably those that don't grow as large because mm-hmm. the bigger you get, the easier you are to catch, right? So, uh, and I think there is actually some evidence of selective pressures for various kinds of marine life towards being smaller mm. because of how many they can of them squeeze we kill through net holes. Yep. They're just harder to catch that way. Mm. Uh, so there's some of that kind of stuff happening. But there's also, I think my favorite form of selection though, which is relevant to the quadrupi potentially, is sexual selection, mm-hmm. which isn't actually, well, I guess it right. is about sex, but the, the idea- That's all it's about. It's, it's <laughs> only about sex. It's not about any sort of fitness. It's like when you see a right. peacock yeah. and you're like, that can't be practical. Right. And, <laughs> and it not. isn't. <laughs> and, and the idea is that when you see something really weird in nature, there's a pretty good chance that that seems, you know, maladaptive, like, like it's a bad idea. There's a pretty good chance that it's a sexual selection problem, which is that one way that you can demonstrate just how awesome of a mate you are is by having every handicap in the universe and still being alive. Right. Right. Because you got to be a fucking, if, if you're a fucking peacock, you're brightly colored, 
Yeah. Visible, you can barely fly because your tail is so enormous. So you basically have to stay on the ground. You, all can't, the time. you can barely escape from anything. But yep. damn, do you look good. <laughs> you, you look awesome. Right? So are you so saying beauty that, is pain? Are Adam? you saying that That's the right. quadrupeds' four legs are actually selected for because of sexual pressure? They might be. Because it might just be that, that quadrupi happen to value the appearance of four legs. So yeah. glutes and quads are like what they're all about. They're all yep. about the gams. That's right. But I've, that, I've heard some theories that since humans are the only organism in the world that has a butt... <laughs> That's only because we stand up, though. Because when a bear stands up, it also has a butt. Not really. Well, yeah, it but it's have like a... Except, like except I mean, it's a little bit except flatter. You do, yeah, yeah but those things like you don't need like this big round butt. Yeah, they got the, they got the up. muscles there. Yeah, but they're not as well developed because they don't stand up all the time. All the yeah. time. But I don't know. But, I think I've heard theories like humans just like round things. No, it's because we stand up. But I also, but I do like that though. <laughs> <laughs> Look at that butt. Like, like butt. <laughs> but it could be that the reason that we stand up is because we like round things. That'd be hilarious. Because yeah? <laughs> we're like, ooh, when we stand up, but there's a round thing now. This is nice. Look and at so, that butt. So, they, so that could have caused sexual <laughs> so, selection. So we became the dominant life form on Earth because, because we like butts. Because we like butts. <laughs> Actually, you do, heard it here. Do you know? Do you, do you know about Bawfest? You guys know about Bawfest, right? Uh-uh. You know SNBC? Yeah, yeah. The the web comic. So any any of our listeners, if you don't know that web comic, it's fucking phenomenal. Saturday morning breakfast cereal. Yeah, SNBC-comics.com or something like that. Uh, but he started the the author of that thing. It was quite a while ago now, maybe like seven years ago or something. Started this thing called Bawfest, like B-A-H, like the old science way of being like Bah hum, you know, mm-hmm. humbug, whatever. Uh, where the idea is to come up with the most ridiculous sounding theory possible that still like could, could be correct work. or like or <laughs> describes a phenomenon so this this was all kicked off with a comic he did where he was talking about why babies are the shape that they are and it was because of how good they are for punting <laughs> because <laughs> the idea is that if you're trying to spread your genes right so you make a baby you, you make a baby you punt it as far as you can into like a neighboring village <laughs> so that so that you've spread your your uh, which is also genetic. why which is also why they're mostly cartilage. Right? Yeah, exactly. They're very they resilient. They're very it. resilient. Right. Yeah. So that, so the, so then he wrote up this like you know clearly joking fake theory about this, but this spawned this this festival called Bawfest, which actually they just announced like, the next one's coming up in October or something. Mm. Maybe we should bring uh, our butts theory. So yeah, this would be a perfect. We could put thing. together a a, a PowerPoint. Perfect. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. they they have PowerPoints and posters, so you can then walk around and have, see all the poster presentations. What? <laughs> So I haven't gone before, but I really that want to. Awesome. We'll call it the theory of butt domination. Yep. It's nice. Yeah. All right. Next question comes from. <laughs> next question comes from Spirit Coco, who says. Spirit Coco. Would you ever make an event where the community creates uh, new and where the community creates new bosses, NPCs, buildables, weapons, armor, etc., that others can vote to add in the game, any of your games on mm-hmm. the next update? Make it so that even the community helped make the game. That'd be pretty fun. Um, there's been a few companies that have done this to varying degrees, and what we would what we would do if we were to do it was would be essentially a controlled process. We wouldn't just say that yeah, makes something crazy. Um, I think probably starting with and also we wouldn't just blindly accept votes. Correct. Otherwise, our games would just be filled with dicks. Yeah. Yep. That's what always happens. <laughs> so, uh, so what we definitely do is uh, in a, a few companies done this before. I think the one that I saw that I liked a lot was how Ironhide. Games did it with with their their game uh, Kingdom Rush Two, where they think that the community sort of work with the developers to make a hero for it. And basically, what they did is every stage of the way, they started off with essentially just a text description of what of the idea of what the character was, just like two sentences and a few different options in that. Uh, the community picks one of those and then sort of starts. Of course, the community chats, right? So they start sort of throwing a suggestion, basically more like a decision yeah. tree. 
Uh, so the developers can control basically balance problems and that sort of thing along the way, because that tends to be the thing that happens whenever whenever someone uh, who really likes the game comes in and and has something to that they want to make for it. It's oftentimes a thing that will break everything in most conceivable ways. I yeah. want to be a hero that one shots everybody with a sniper rifle right. that hits everything without having to aim. Right. Yeah. yeah. So uh, it, it, that's even a classic if, community suggestion. Well, even if they're not completely overpowered things, but um, it could also break the break the story too hard because like the because you want to put a rock you want to you want a jetpack on it, but it's a thing that lives in the ocean or right. whatever. You know, right. you know, things that just mismatch because right. they so, sound cool. So I would love to do something like this, and I think. But there's uh, also an intellectual property problem, mm-hmm. which is if right. you so the decision tree works really well because it doesn't create any conflict of any kind. But if you actually take submissions from people. That means you have to somehow come up with a licensing agreement ahead of time that's under, unambiguously understandable by all parties, which is that either they are granting you a license to that to do whatever you want with, mm-hmm. or they're just transferring the copyright to you as the game maker. Well, but also uh, importantly- Which is whack in both fronts. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but it's also the case that if somebody just says like, you should put this thing in your game that looks like they, and they just describe it, um, yeah, yeah. there's that, actually no copyright. Yeah, there's no protection on yeah. that. But but if they if they actually say, if we like- if we say, hey, we need a sword that kind of fits this description, uh, let's have the community come together to, like, make some examples, and then, you know, and then they can all vote on the one that they want, and we'll turn that into a, an item, right? Uh, that kind of thing we really just can't do yeah. because of intellectual right. property reasons. Um, because there's there's no way to get around all the the weirdness of making sure that that person understands what it is that they're doing, that they're, you know, giving up their intellectual property to us. Uh, and also in many ways, it's kind of weird and unfair to do anyway, because then in the end, if everything works out well, then we make money off of that thing that that person made. Right. But then they it's kind of like we've just been happening with, because you know? uh, Bethesda did their, the mod shop thing. Yeah. Their creation club, which right. has been, if you read on a, on any of the PC gaming sites in particular, you'll see, uh, often there's a bunch of discussion about this because essentially it's, it's essentially paid mods. But Bethesda is actually paying the people who used to make mods for stuff for free in uh, in Skyrim to make a few sort of patches of content for the game itself. So in a sense, they're it's almost like they're contracting out, right? Some of yeah, the death, right? Um, in the case of the Creation Club, but it's one of those things that gets it is it's, it's weird territory in the sense that it actually will require a tremendous amount of if it's not just a decision tree thing, it would require a tremendous amount of uh, I guess overhead to figure out how to do it in such a way that we don't necessarily feel like, like we're taking advantage, but that it's actually a community participation thing. It's fun. Um, right. And then, yeah, that, that's sort and of, and also it's an openness up to legal exactly. trouble. Um, as we talk about a lot on this podcast, there are many reasons why we can't have nice things. Yep. The law is one of them. the law is one of them. <laughs> uh, but but also but also unethical other people, right? right. Because there, there can easily be and, and, and often are situations, especially with small independent startup studios where it'll be some guy with an idea who will be like, Hey, come, you know, come make art from my thing. We can do a profit share on it or mm-hmm. whatever. Right. Uh, and no agreements written up and, and then it turns out that the whole thing kind of falls apart. And then there's, now there's this question of who actually owns what piece what, of art, mm-hmm. right? Uh, because it's actually super important. And, uh, and this kind of thing happens just constantly all the time because it, it it's not just how the law works. It actually is important. Uh, to keep track of who owns what and what their rights are with mm-hmm. respect to that stuff. Uh, and most, and for the most part, people don't, they don't actually, they haven't thought about it enough to understand what they're giving up if they contribute something to some other cause. 
uh, without clearly understanding that they have now lost rights to it or they've lost the right to do something specific with it in the future right. um, or whatever. Um, so, yeah, so it gets into some weird territory that I think for the most part we just want to avoid because mm-hmm. it's real fucking murky. Yeah. Yeah. And that might, I mean, I think sometimes it may sound like we overthink some of these things, but it's just because we, we really genuinely want to not have troubled seas. And so anything that we, that we look at and we, you know, analyze along these lines of what are the risks in, inherent in this particular process? Is there an easy way for us to mitigate that? Or is it the case that it's just sort of a, literally a risky thing to do? Well, I, I think um, this also comes down to the, down to the idea of independence, Mm-hmm. which is we have specifically made it a point to avoid at all costs of which it ha- there have been some mm-hmm. um, having publishers, uh, having investors, having loans, right? Uh, because the most trouble that you can get in your business or whatever comes from other people, yeah. right? Um, specifically via lawsuits, ownership disputes, um, you know, all this stuff. And so, so part of the philosophy of being independent is trying to come up with ways to keep yourself self-contained and have as few of those, of those connections going as possible so that, um, so that you're more secure. Yeah. Right. Well, again, I just finished, uh, reading blood, sweat and pixels. Adam, and I both read this, um, which is written by one of the editors at Kotaku. So if anybody's interested in sort of just the, the overall process of how games are made, this book basically takes. Uh, 10 very well-known games and and dives into the actual process that went through it, a bunch of interviews and that sort of thing, sort of a storytelling format of how those things were made. And you'll notice a theme throughout it, which is that a lot of the companies that have uh, investors or publisher backing, where the publisher is actually paying for the game. That's where their problems That's oftentimes from. where a lot of their problems came from because the publisher would, would back out or funding would just dry up or they would lose communication for a long period of time. And then it would like all this sort of stuff. So there wasn't, that it wasn't always that the sort of the publisher was the cause of it. It was actually the the uh, miscommunication and, and differences in in uh, in interests and desires between mm-hmm. the two parties yeah. that caused. So it, it wasn't exactly that like oh the publishers decided to pull out and that was the end of it. It's that the publisher wasn't investing enormous amounts of money yeah. and then were worried they weren't going to get a return Correct. because this company was mismanaging something mm-hmm. right. And, uh, and to me like. Because I think that was a that was a takeaway that at first I was interpreting all these as like oh god the fucking publishers are ruining everything, <laughs> but I, as I started trying to pay a little bit more attention to exactly what was happening, uh, that actually that definitely did happen. Yeah, there's a few on, on several yeah. occasions. <laughs> right. uh, but the more common one was actually that it, it was so, and this is still a problem, which is that when you have that level of dependence on another party, mm-hmm. then your your ability to all be on the same page and have the same goals in mind. Uh, becomes more and more problematic, especially when you're working with some enormous company because their goals are not your goals. They, they just can't be. And there's no way for you actually to, to align those visions together. Uh, and so even if that company is operating really quite fairly, like in its, in its best interest, but also saying like, hey, we're giving you a fuck ton of money. We expect to see what you told us you would provide. Right. And if it turns out you're like, actually, we decided to make a different game because we think this game is just better and we're better suited to do it. And then that, you know, your parent company is like, well, that's, you know, that's That's not not what we agreed. That's not what we agreed on. That's not what we need for our lineup because we have our external other dependencies that we have. Um, So, yeah. It's tricky. Goals are misaligned. Communication. Yeah. So, but yeah, but it is all about reducing your level of dependencies Mm -hmm. on stuff because you can't, you can't be part of a, of a team with a single vision 
when there are third parties you have no control over who are controlling you in some way. And they've got their own vision. And they've got their own vision. This is true of things like Kickstarters with, mm-hmm. with, uh, with backer rewards and just, just what you, what you promise at a Kickstarter this is also why we avoid that, uh, is cause now all of a sudden you're beholden to your fans. Well, we actually have, um, we talked about Hive Jump quite a while back. Mm-hmm. Um, they ran a Kickstarter and a big part of their Kickstarter was Wii U support. Yeah, this was a couple of years ago. Way a couple before years Switch ago. Was and all that. But yeah, well, but it was it was even before the Switch was referred to as the Nintendo DX. Right. Right. Or NX. 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 Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, DS and yeah. Well, yeah, whatever. Two letters. Um, and so Wii U support was a big, uh, a big promise that they had made to their Kickstarter backers. And they they just recently I think they're next week. Next week they're launching on Wii U. Yeah. Like that. Which now the Switch has been out forever. Um, right. The Wii is kind of old news, and we also know that you know it was a it was a, it was a big process for them to, to yeah, get that game. Is yeah, no to get joke, yeah. And uh, and had that had that pressure not been there from those backers, you know, who said the only reason I backed this <laughs> right. was because of the Wii U. Well, this support. is even the yeah. case of in that in Blood, Sweat, and Pixels, they talk about Shovel Knight, which is sort of this beloved indie icon mm-hmm. now. Um, and one of the things they promised in Shovel Knight was was that you can play as these other knights and without realizing the extent the amount of work that they had to well, do of course this. the entire game was designed around the mechanic of the main character exactly yeah. which meant if you wanted to play something else they would have to rebuild the whole game yeah. Yeah. again and i think they're are they just on their third one now something like that yeah the final one they're just doing now this was like three years ago this thing came out right it's like, more than that i think it's longer than that? Yeah. quite a while ago so they've been working on shovel Knight now for, for years and they even mentioned <laughs> it in the thing they're like yeah we we definitely over promised on this stuff yep. And yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. So you'd be really careful with that sort of stuff to, to reduce dependency. That's part of the reason why with what we're talking about, how we're approaching the announcement of scuffle buddies and the information we're leaking out, we're being very close to the chest with stuff mm-hmm. this time. Do we want to talk about promises, in, promises in made what? to the community? In what capacity? We have, we have some questions <laughs> about a thing. I mean, yeah, while we're on the topic, let's go. So we got, all right, we got a question from Woland 77. A lot has been said about <laughs> announcing video games and features too early. Did you announce the Crashlands creator too early? Do Damn, you, Woland. Do you think it would have been better to say nothing and work on it or not in quiet? Yes. <laughs> I think. Uh, so here's, here's what we didn't know about the creator. Uh, we we probably could have known had we taken two steps back and thought more about it. Um, is user generated content is awesome and it provides a, like an extended life cycle for your game because there's all this new stuff, right? But there's two dimensions to it uh, that we didn't think hard enough about. One is the amount of moderation, and we thought we'll just we'll build in some systems, you know, to uh, to try to allow the community to self moderate. Um, but it's not, you're just, you're not going to catch everything with that. Right. Which does mean that having something like the creator where we have uh, people making their own campaigns, making their own stories and then posting that online and then allowing anybody to play those things. It means we lose control over, over uh, sort of the, I guess, what do we want to call it? Like the rating of the game, yeah. right? Like how it, like right now we say, you know, here's what's in the game. It's going to go to, it's going to go to NC 17 real yeah. quick. Like we know that yeah. we know that the game is, it's for like, 13 and up, right? Mm-hmm. And once we get that creator in there, it's it's now an X-rated game, yep. right? Because there's <laughs> going to be a lot of a lot of stuff in there. And this also means um so that so that's an a hugely increased moderation burden on us. But the second thing that we didn't even really think about was what this means for the different platforms that the game is on. Mm-hmm. Because every platform has their own uh requirements of things like, you know, 
uh, approval of content mm -hmm. or, or even there are some platforms that we're, that we're working on uh, where we can't even use B scotch ID. Right. In which case, how do you use the creator, right? Mm -hmm. If you can't log into any web stuff, um, then they actually cuts off creator access. And so uh, we've been, we were working on navigating these things for basically all of 2016. Yeah. Um, uh, and yeah, we were, and also the, the UI, there's also always that question of, well, if this is for kind of advanced users and the idea is it's supposed to be like a power tool and that kind of thing, uh, then just how, how good does the UI have to be? Right. Cause it was also how, how mobile friendly does and how mobile be? friendly does it have to be and all these questions. So for us, we just, we had it, we, we got to, so, cause I built it. So I got to just teach other people how it worked. Right. And mm -hmm. so, so there were a lot of known, like weird wonky things, but we could just say, yeah, we know this is wonky. Just don't do that. Just or work around it, or work around it. Um, but, but that's, that's insufficient when putting that thing into the wild. And I think that was definitely the biggest programming project that I had taken on mm -hmm. up to that point was building the creator, you know, backend system, uh, and it's front end. And at that time I didn't realize just how far away I was with the thing that I made from what would be required for a thing that, that other people like outside of the studio, right. uh, could use and, and mass because the otherwise support burden that would have been created similar to the dealing with, uh, moderation would have been fucking enormous because that, if that thing wasn't polished and tight and like perfectly mm -hmm. understandable with an enormous fact and documentation, then, then all of a sudden now we would have been on the hook for teaching people how to use it and helping mm -hmm. them with problems and dealing with bugs yeah. and that kind of stuff. Uh, so, yeah, so the, so the difference between a developer version and a, in a sort of polished consumer version Right. We're like, as devs, we so know, huge. we know the code of the game. Like we know how everything works under the hood. And so we didn't have to have any of this stuff in the creator. It's all just, we know how it works. So no instructions needed. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. Which is all to say we, I, I, I actually am not sure, you know, with, even with hindsight, which is that we promised the thing that we, that, well, cause we still could have delivered. If there was an enormous demand for it, we could have delivered on that. Mm -hmm. We could, we could have dedicated our resources and, and made that happen. Uh, despite all of the surprisingly enormous costs that went into it, right? Uh, the I would say Crashlands was not at the level of success it would need to be for that to be something that both that there was a high enough demand for to like really push us to do it, and that would have been a good use of our time that wouldn't have actually sunk put our studio. Yeah, that wouldn't have sunk the studio because the the amount of the amount of time that would have needed to go into it was, was really quite large. Uh, but you know, we, we had every intention of doing it. And a lot of the, a lot of the time was just thinking, well, we'll, we'll see how well the game does. If it does super well, so people are like wanting more content, then, uh, this would be a great way to mm -hmm. do that. Um, and further again, like the thing was already there and it already existed. We were just like, we just have to polish it up for users. Right? We, that was just, kind of the idea. we just, we <laughs> just right. have to polish it up. <laughs> and I, I mean, it's, it is the tool that we used to build the entire campaign. Right. So, I mean, it, it's very flexible. It can do all kinds of things. Right. And, uh, and so, so yeah, I think, I think we, we were very excited about the possibility of doing it. And I think rightly, um, cause actually we'll also bear in mind that when we announced the creator for the game it was during the green light campaign. Mm -hmm. Yep. And in the, during the green light campaign, we actually didn't even have the story made for the game Correct. yet. So the we creator had, was almost, the done. creator was yeah. basically almost done. And we were like, <laughs> this tool is badass. Like yeah. we're going to be able to do all kinds of awesome stuff with this. And so we just announced that this is going to be a thing. Mm -hmm. Um, well, I think part of it was also there's uh, there was this question of how just like, trying to do as much as possible to make people actually care. And that was that was one of the big things at the time is um, we didn't want it to be the case that people felt like you say, I mean, of course, it's funny because it's five bucks on mobile, but 15 bucks on Steam, whatever. 
that they weren't necessarily getting the the bang for the buck. And so any of these features that that because the plan was completely to to do it to build it out. Uh, any of these features that seemed like they were on the horizon were put in that. So the story was not written at the time of that, mm-hmm. even though it talks about the story. Uh, the creator was basically done, but hadn't been sort of as an internal as tool. an internal tool, not at all as an external tool. And this happens a lot in games. And, and there's actually the blood, sweat and pixels thing actually has a lot of, of this about E3 demos. And there's this big right. question because literally most of the demos that you see at E3 for these big fancy games end up being nothing like the final right. product because the team actually <laughs> crunches super hard to make this polished experience that is sort of the distilled idea of what that game is going to be. And then oftentimes, especially if they're mismanaged, none of that stuff ends up in the final game at all. Yep. Sequence to none of the models, like anything. Well, and there's, there's basically, there's a decision point you have to make because there's, it's also the case that if like we're, we're experiencing this with controller support mm-hmm. where we went, we went back through our steam reviews um, just to see if there was anything that we could, you know, work on with crashness to kind of like tidy up. Any, anything that's bothering people about the game or whatever. And, uh, a really significant proportion of our negative reviews come from people who, for whom the controller support is not quite working the way that they would like it to, or that, you know, something. Um, and so, so we're working on fixing those problems for people, but at the same time, uh, some of those people are people who bought the game because of the controller support. And then because it didn't quite match their expectations, they give us a negative review, uh, which is fair, right? Because mm-hmm. like we, we put this feature into the game that was like, it's like 95% good, but that last 5% can actually ruin the game for you, mm-hmm. right? Yep. And so if if the same thing happens with the creator, right? You get a, you get a new influx of people who are like, oh, I want to like build my own stories, build my own campaigns. Right. And if the creator is hard to use, if it's un, you know hard to understand, if it doesn't quite behave the way they expect, um, then all of a sudden that, that just brings in an influx of, of right. negative reviews, right? Because it's, it's better, a feature that just isn't good. Sometimes right? it's just better to cut stuff than than to do it at all. Is the, is the truth? Yeah, yeah. And, so, you, and you can't. And you can't. Then there's a certain level of of self sacrifice, like what we're seeing with like Hive Jump with the Wii U. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we we know those guys, and we know the amount of of blood and sweat that went yeah. into getting that Wii U version ready. Mm-hmm. Um, and for for what? Right? Like it's yeah. an, it's an the console didn't ever do that well. And now that the switch is out, it's like way old news. Right. And so, and it's just, it's just to adhere to a promise that they've now, who knows what they had to give up in terms of development and and other actually cool things that they could have been working on and building for their community. Um, So I think think a lot of these is just, it it comes down to just confronting the fact that sometimes you make mistakes as a studio. Yeah. Yeah. That was like talking about the creator was a huge (laughs) mistake. Well then pointed out, like, do you think you talk? Yeah. Absolutely. We did. Well, and, and also if you look at now what we're doing with Scuffle Buddies, um, this is, this is why we're keeping a, mm-hmm. keeping a bit of a lid on because <laughs> <laughs> we have plenty of things that we, we're pretty sure are going to be in the game, but until they're in this time. Well, and even then, <laughs> even uh, then, who knows? Even I mean, then there are things that, that will probably be in the game, but may end up just being very different yeah. than what they, and like it, and if you want to see an example of this, you know, go back and look at one, some of the early dev blog posts about crash There's one post that I find particularly hilarious where there's like four really important game systems that we talk about, um, that are like, that we viewed at the time as sort of, you know, bread crowning like bread and butter, crowning achievements of this game. None of them are in the, <laughs> literally none of them. Um, and you can see how those systems probably evolved to turn into what was in the final game. Mm-hmm. But it's even stuff like right now, crash, as you run around the world, you find teleporters and like, that's how you get around. 
We never had that at the beginning. Yep. One of the one of you the cool a teleporter network. Yeah, one of the cool things that we put in was the idea of a teleporter network. You build your own teleporters, and then you decide where those are going to go. And then they had to be within range of other teleporters, and they would link together. Mm-hmm. Um, so you would, as you explore the world, you would kind of create your own mechanism of of transport. Um, but it turned out that once you had like thirty teleporters down. And all in you were viewing the network of interlinked nodes and stuff. It was just really hard to see anything on yeah. the map. And also it was just kind of tedious to always have to be placing teleporters. teleporters. So we thought it was cool and it was at and first it and then it sucked. Right? <laughs> and so we just ripped the whole, like that whole system disappeared and then it became, they're just our yeah. teleporters. Right. So I guess so. what's the status, I guess what's the general notion with the creator at this point? Uh, to me, the creator is still, so I, I wouldn't say like it, it's not quite in the incinerator to, for me. It's kind of <laughs> it's kind of it's just sitting. It's teetering. If you, like if the, yeah, if the incinerator was like a, a rectangular you know trash can like thing, mm-hmm. it would be just literally sitting on the edge of it right now, mm. right? Uh, and that's because I still I still really want to to have it. And and again, like all the guts are there. Uh, the the point where we're at now though is that you know right now I'm in the middle of of completely just redoing Bscotch ID. Mm-hmm. So every literally every system is different. It's going to live on build different with new technology. Build new technology, live on different things, it's going to have different functionality. Everything about it's different. Um so what that means is that all of my old stuff that has been written is going to is is both obsolete and also just not a thing I can just go like use, can't go recover it. Uh so the creator would then have to be built rebuilt entirely completely from scratch. There are a lot of advantages though to that, which is that most of the reason it was such a pain in the ass to deal with in the first place and why it ended up being so hard to make was because of the tech it was using. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so by not just, just having none of that would actually speed up development a lot. Um, further, now that Andy's here and he's working on all the front end stuff, mm-hmm. now I don't have to do both. Right. And so, so that they're actually, there, there will come a point in the, in the next, you know, sort of like six months to a year where we will have the, the, technical ability to just like redo it and we'll have the new systems all the new bschedule systems sort of like under under underlining it you know girding the whole thing uh ready to have that built on top of it the question will be at that point is, is the relative value right, <laughs> right. because because at that same time we'll be doing all kinds of unknown scuffle buddy stuff you know what if we decide and i'm and we haven't even talked about this so don't don't think of this as a thing we're gonna <laughs> do uh, but what if we decide we want to put uh, the same idea into scuffle buddies, but you know, but for real though. Right? Mm-hmm. So, so let's say that we say, all right, we're going to make a campaign editor or we want to make a map editor. We're going to do something, right? We want people to make user generated content of some sort. Then I don't, I'm definitely not going to have time to do that and like Both. rebuild the creator. And so, so for me, what, I, what I'm treating the creator as is uh, once everything has been ported to these new systems, once Crashlands is updated with the new Bscotch ID, like once we're beyond this tech debt window. Mm-hmm. And once all of the main really important things are solved for scuffle buddies, which there's a lot of, mm-hmm. uh, and we're in some window, there's like some time, because a lot of the reason that I have so much work right now is because I'm rebuilding Bscotch ID. Yeah. After scuffle buddies, and, we, and then we set off to make the next game, I'm not remaking Bscotch ID again at that point. Hope right? Not. Certainly fucking hope not. <laughs> so, uh, this been, yeah, it's been, a, it's been a big undertaking. It's enormous. And, and, and so that, that's going to take literally like a year of work off my plate mm-hmm. for the, the following thing. And so right now there's just no gap in, in the, the things that I have to do. Um, there's not one in the, in the near future either, right? But, but at some point there may come a time when I actually can choose to spend time on this kinds of stuff. And I, and I would like to actually. So, mm-hmm. so for me, it's like, this is not a, I'm not trying to keep it as a promise that we, that we like need to keep, but it just truly is a thing that I think would be awesome. Mm-hmm. 
and uh, it would be like, yeah. it would be a big undertaking to make it feasible. Yeah. And it's and it's almost entirely on the web dev team. Yep. Because the game it is basically the game the just the game just eats the the yeah. data that comes from the creator yeah. and then just turns it into a campaign. Yep. So yeah. So it's all so it's all on us. Which we just need the Slack to do it and. Right. B-Sketch Someday ID. we may. B-Sketch ID 2 is currently, there is no slack. There's no slack. So. Well, it's going to be, and once we're done with that, then it's all scuffle buddies, whatever that mm-hmm. needs, right? So, uh, so we're, we're easily a year away from having slack to do, to actually like, go back and rebuild this thing. Um, so who knows? I would, <laughs> I feel like. <laughs> on the edge of this. Yeah. So I still yeah. really hope we could pull it off, but, but by the time we, by the time we can, you know, Crashlands might be so dead that okay. there's just nobody playing. Or it. maybe it this would be the thing that brings it back to life. And it might actually yeah. be. And, and to me, that, that's actually one of the things is that, you know, it, it's good to look back periodically at some, something we've made and ask, can what we, can like, we do? Can we put some life back into this, you yeah. know, so that people get interested again? And uh, something like the Crashlands Creator is a good example of that. That even, even if the game is like on its deathbed, you know, it's getting like a download a day and, We've moved on, and you know, even when we get to that point, there's, there's, and we're on our deathbed, and we're on our deathbeds. <laughs> uh, it might very well be the case that we can actually, that we can kind of revive the game by launching something as, as different and cool and interesting as, the, as a cross-platform campaign creator. Or yeah. maybe, I mean, maybe we just don't worry about it, and then we just keep it in mind when we make Crashlands Two, right? Which. Mm-hmm. Which we is the thing that everybody wants us to do. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Which we are currently not making. It is not on the docket, and we've not even thought. Now about let it. me ask you this though: <laughs> What are we gonna do? So right now, with everything that we create that has a comments box on it, mm. the top thirty-five comments are Crashlands Two. Mm-hmm. What about Crashlands Two? Mm-hmm. What are we gonna do when when half of those comments are Crashlands Two and the other half is Scuffle Buddies Two? <laughs> Are we gonna have to make? I guess we'll have to make one of them. We're gonna have to make get these people on our back. Yeah, we're gonna or, make, or like, make neither of them. Crash buddies and just merge, merge the whole Scuffle thing. Land. This, this is this sort of anti. <laughs> this is sort of this anti peer pressure. Don't tell me what to do approach, right? Which is the more people ask for a thing, the less likely we are to give it. The more we're gonna give them something else, even more amazing. That yep. They didn't even know they wanted. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's Not not a, show. It's up. not a normal peer <laughs> pressure situation. But well, I think our, our goal is to have a few different properties that are established and, and were successful before we start doing the sequel Se- route. Sequelizing? Because, I mean, there's, there's always more stuff to explore in any one of the games we make, but but it'd be nice to have a few very different uh, concepts out there so that if we're like, oh, we want to go, I don't know, work on an RTS, but we have one that we built that was kick-ass, and we go build a second one that's yeah. even more kick-ass. Well, but, but I think also getting to explore different uh, sort of not genre niches and audience niches is, mm-hmm. is really important because with something like Crashlands, you know, Crashlands has these weirdly direct competitors in the market, mm-hmm. you know, namely don't starve. Right. Yep. Uh, that I think most people who play both would say, actually they're quite different, but actually still a lot of people don't, they still see them as mm-hmm. like just versions of the same game. Right. Uh, and so it's, it's a lot less compelling to make another game that has a whole bunch of direct competitors. <laughs> it feels like it's the same game yep. versus just trying to make something entirely new. So we can try to find our own space. Right. Cause once we do that, now all of a sudden We've set that genre. We've created that niche, mm-hmm. and we can now add awesome new stuff in there. And we can actually provide stuff that nobody has access to because it just doesn't exist anywhere else. One thing I can say about Scuffle Buddies, without giving anything away, oh yeah, is there's not going to be any direct competitors. You have, no, you have not played. <laughs> you have not played a thing like this. No, it's, it's going to be weird. <laughs> uh, which is actually the big challenge: is how do we 
how do we talk about it and explain it? Which yeah. we're not going to do yet, so don't worry about it. But it is it is something that's on but our. But it mind. does give us a chance of having Scuffle Buddies too, where people are like, oh yeah, just like this is the one place where I can get this kind of thing. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and they can be excited about a freshened up version of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's going to be exciting. Cool. So, all right. Well, that's all the time we have for this week. So we'd like to thank our studio wrangler, Monique, for putting this episode together. Our producer, Fat Bard, for making us sound good. And the Beast Got Your Dev team, Andy, Tifa, and Sher, for continuing to build stuff while we're in here podcasting. A special thanks to our community moderators who keep our Discord and forums running. And, of course, we'd like to thank you all, our listeners, for coming back every week to hear us yammer. If you'd like to get more involved in the Butterscotch community, hop into our Discord server at bit.ly slash bsdiscord. Come say hi. Um, we have been paying a little bit more attention to it since the Scuffle Buddies announcement, although uh, we're, we're, trying to, we're trying to get some work done, so, you know, try to don't go too crazy in there, you, you kids. Uh, also, we have a mailbox, so if you'd like to send us candy or a letter, preferably candy, uh, head on over to mailbox.bscotch.net, and we've got our address over there. Uh, also, we depend on word of mouth and great reviews to to get new listeners. Right now, we're pushing for 100 reviews on Apple Podcasts. Um, so if you have an account there, if you're listening through there, uh, we would really appreciate it. It would help us out a lot if you head over there uh, to give us a five-star review. You can also go to bit.ly slash cwbapple, and that'll, that'll kind of shortcut you right over there. Um, so that'll help us out, and we'd appreciate it. So thank you all for listening. Did you did you also include the email address? Ooh, you need to add that to your to your speech. Mm. To my speech. Uh huh. What's the email address? Podcast at bscotch.net. Trying to keep straightforward, nice and easy. Yeah. Um, you will you'll get an auto reply. I think the auto reply might be a little wonky, so you know, just just uh, just deal with that and for the moment. Yeah. So if you want to just uh, say something, you don't necessarily want to ask a question to be read on the podcast. Or, or if you don't want to post it in the public, that public space or something for whatever. I, we got our first one came in last week and it was from somebody who pointed out that I could be doing a better job at security in a very specific kind of way on the web. So thank you for that. It was, <laughs> it was uh, but, but in, like in a nice, useful way. Yeah. Right so that's the but, kind of uh, thing that we don't necessarily need to be in a public forum. Yeah. It's a good, more of a um, good private yeah, question. So that, was, that was nice and I appreciate that. Uh, and yeah, if there's anything, if you just want to send your thoughts on stuff, just you know, hit up, hit up podcast at bscotch.net. Uh, it's going to go, it'll then get forwarded to kind of whoever you're sort of directing it at. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, so just know that we, we will read them all, whatever you send. We will. Um, the, the, the auto reply, just cause we, we're going to try not to do it immediately cause we got stuff we're trying to do, you know, so we got, uh, we got scuffles to make. Yep. So just and know we're going to get it. Twos. We're going to read it. We may or may not reply, but we definitely are actually reading that stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's podcast at bscotch.net. That's the email address. Not to be confused with podcast.bscotch.net, which mm-hmm. is the website. Mm-hmm. So, all right. Well, that's it. Thank Maybe you all I should have listening. had it be podcast at podcast.bscotch.net. That's good. That's what I should have done. Maybe not, though. <laughs> <laughs> okay. That's all we got for this week. Thank you all for listening, and we'll see you next week. Bye. 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 Bye.